0: Welcome to episode 175 of the Dive Down, a Batch of the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago. And with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, the one and only Shane Beeps. Shane. Stanislav. Shane.
1: My friend. Dude, 175. Wow. Oh, man, we did it. That's It's, it's uh, seven eighths of the way to 200. They said we'd never make it. All of them. All the, all the haters out there. <laughs> they said that. The people in the other podcast discords. They'll never make 175, they said. But here we are. Um, Sanisla, You know what's really good is we get to start the episode talking about my favorite thing, weather. Okay? I had to cover up all of my plants outside because we had uh, like four inches of of super wet snow that hit us after in uh, on May the nineteenth or May the twentieth. It was absurd. It was just we had uh, I, I I had like eight plastic bins covering my my flowers and whatnot. My peonies, Can't of those get damaged. Oh, no, my peonies! A wheelbarrow was protecting my peonies, but uh, and yeah, we got through it. And now it's all gone. I made pizza outside today <laughs> after after like four inches of wet wet snow. But yeah, that's you know
2: just Denver things, baby.
0: Speaking of four inches of wet. Wet snow. It's my favorite with this, album. Is the Godfather Dave Harbarger. Wow,
2: I have no idea how to take that. Other than I'm, I'm going to think that that's a beard joke about how great my beard is. Sure. I'm taking that. Yeah,
1: your beard's looking really good. Really Santa, like a tidy Santa.
2: Yeah, that's my uh, follow me on Twitter at Tidy Santa. Uh, <laughs> you can find my link tree there. Man, I love that Maria Condo book. Is that her name? Tidy, like Marie Kondo? tidy Santa. Yeah, Tidy Santa.
1: Yeah. You, Seven steps to being the best Tidy Santa. You only keep things that, that bring you joy and uh, deck the halls. You guys bring me joy. Here's what I want to know.
0: What do we do for our 200th episode? We can't do 200 decks. That was
2: a one one and done 100 episode fiasco. Are we can do 200 decks. We have multiple formats to talk about now again.
1: We can do 200. There's not a lot of point in doing that, though. Mm,
2: yeah, there's not. I mean... I don't know we'll, we'll have to think of this offline as they say. Yeah, you real, you realize that 200 episodes is still a good 6 months away. So let's not let's not worry about it right now. You
1: know Stan's a planner. He's a place got to get ahead of these things.
0: Yeah, I guess I forget sometimes how time works and how episode numbers translate into
2: calendar days. Until then, let's talk about this week's show. Also, I'm the Godfather, Dave Harbarger. It's nice to see everybody. I don't I don't think that got Hello, in
0: Godfather now, Dave Harbarger. I always introduce you and somehow you always think I don't. <laughs> real this time though no
2: this is this is what
0: always happens okay i'm sorry it's uh, apology accepted this week what are we doing more of what we did last week i want to say because it's another bit of a grab bag we're keeping
1: it loose we're just talking about what we've been playing what we've been having fun with i mean, I feel like this is i think this is more like an official finally an official sleep leave heave type feeling for me at least where i'm actually i was actually testing the deck more than just kind of like trying to play it, like I think I was trying to I was trying to test a new deck that appeared with new cards and putting a critical Shane eye on it, and I think that's kind of what we all did this week a little bit more than
2: previous weeks, perhaps,
1: perhaps not. I could be wrong.
2: You know what? If you want to drop some grades, nobody's going to stop you from dropping any grades, Shane. Right now, this is heave it. This in this new era, yeah. Well, we <laughs> no spoilers, but <laughs> I'm certainly not surprised that that's what what's coming. You know, in this era of the dive down right now. We're just chasing what makes us happy. We just need to find some moments where where we want to enjoy what we're doing. Free condo. Yeah. Spark joy.
0: You know, part of it is that there's both no obvious news that we need to address as part of our focus on the latest X-Trends and strategies, but also all the news has to do with Ledger Shredder. Yeah. And it just feels like we've sort of become the ledger shutter show this month because yep. that's kind of the hotness
2: yeah i was also going to say uh don't forget about spark joy that's one of my favorite instants from streets of new capenna uh unbelievable not the, not, they not cost more of the spark no no spark. because there was no joy and did you see that trailer from 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 <laughs> more of the spark didn't that have a lincoln park song it. there's no joy there no spark joy uh what is that that's like a single red single red to connive and uh and make somebody uh do one damage <laughs> yeah the, you know, what's funny is, uh, I, we weren't like, we were
1: va- vaguely ahead of the ledger shredder curve. And I, f- I feel kind of cool about that. Like there's been so much, you know, virtual and audio ink spilled about ledger shredder the past few weeks. And I'm, I'm glad that we, we got out a little bit ahead of that because, you know, we, you know, it's not like we were the first people to cast this card, but we released the second. top 10, definitely yeah, top, top 10 people ever. Definitely top 10. Yeah, so we are definitely talking about new-ish
0: decks. We got some modern decks. We got some more explorer content. We're going to take you through them. Try to talk a bit about the meta as it continues to evolve on the streets of New Capenna, And uh, about the fact that uh, we really love looting in this year 2022. I even like rummaging. I'm
1: doing a lot of rummaging. Oh,
2: some don't rummage.
0: Yeah. Draw first. Discard later.
2: Who's letting you
1: rummage? I mean, you got, you know, I think you will, you know, the Blood Tokens, Fable, the Mirror Breaker, Mm. those are all rummage effects, right? True. 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 Before we get into
0: all that rummaging business, we're going to kick things off by talking a little bit about the NRG series that took place in Minneapolis over the weekend. It was a team tournament with Pio, Modern, and Legacy, and we had some friends in the top eight. We're really excited to shout out some of the decks we saw in that tournament and talk a, a little bit more about the winners. But before all that, let's housekeep. One new patron to join the Dive Down Nation this week, it's Isaiah, I believe, maybe Isaiah. In any case, thank you for joining the nation. Happy to have you. If you out there, loyal listener, would like to support the show, you can find us over at patreon.com slash thedivedown, www.http colon slash slash, you know how to type in a web address. I hope so. These days.
1: yeah, um one of the biggest benefits of joining the Patreon, you get access to the discord where things are always popping off. We're always talking about what we're doing, what we're seeing, talking about the latest streams. You know, the NRG stream was on Twitch this weekend, so we were you know people were chatting about what's going on there. So that's always fun.
0: Yeah, just this past week, we organized a Explorer tournament on MTG melee, and the results appeared on MTG Goldfish. All this is taking place on the discord the winner shout out to yoked took down this explorer tournament with an awesome abzan humans deck i actually played against yoked in the finals and got utterly <laughs> utterly crushed <laughs> just completely just got run over
2: yeah you were in the finals kind of yeah oh so brutal this is another tournament where you were in the finals and i came in you know what place i came in i came in last place 27th i even had a win <laughs> And somehow, I, wow. came in, I, had, I had a win, and I came in last. Not sure how that well, math worked out. You know Stan
1: out. got the buy, okay? Oh, I mean, yeah. He did oh, get buy. Whoa,
2: whoa, whoa. I
1: earned <laughs> that buy. <bye. laughs> by, by earning enough QPs from the previous MTG Melee tournament. All right. We are also brought to you not only by the Patreons and citizens of the Dive Down Nation, but by Mana Traders. We talk a lot about Mana Traders because they are the best. They are how we have rented our magic online cards for three and a half years at this point. If you want fifteen percent off your first two months, you can use sign up code the dive down fifteen fifteen percent off the dive down fifteen no longer the dive down twenty twenty two and yeah it, it helps us out it, You get access to a great service you get access to the the good prize winnings for their totally free tournaments that are awesome and run really smoothly and are very enjoyable. So head on over to Mana Traders and if you're no if you're not a member yet, you use sign up code the dive down 15. All right, with all that out of the way, we've got Dave out in the Twin Cities with a camera and a microphone handling
0: the news from the weekend. Dave, tell me about the NRG seri- team series
1: that happened over in Minneapolis. You can tell me too, I'm listening.
2: <laughs> we don't have to lie about me being there. I'm not like the the <laughs> Uh, Radio bureau baseball guy from the 50s who's like, he goes back to the rosin bag. He pitches (laughs) third strike. I was not lying. We gave you money to go to Minnesota. I just used it to buy pavers and cedar planks for some yard projects that I have. I hope that's okay.
0: Dave, that's not how you use a traveler's check.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's not what (laughs) American Express traveler's checks are for. I traveled it straight into my pockets. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So this weekend, the big paper tournament that there was going on was the energy series. Well, energy series. We love you. Hello. If you're listening, uh, Chicago, Chicago locals, of course, uh, energy series team trial tournament in Minneapolis. Uh, I got excited about this one when I heard about it. I, cu- we couldn't, I couldn't make it up to it. Someday we're going to have to go to one of these, though, because the format for this was, and I don't know if you looked at it too much before the weekend, though. It was Pioneer, Modern, and Legacy, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, like, you know, Stan likes Legacy. He told me. He's a big, big Legacy guy. Stan
1: likes Elves. That's true. Dave, if you really want to play an NRG, there's going to be one up in Mundaline the last weekend
0: of July, which I believe is just a modern tournament. Is it a modern team
2: tournament or is it a modern... No, it's just it's just a modern energy in Mundelein, The last weekend of July. I'm glad to go to the center of competitive Magic Mundelein, Illinois, and <laughs> do some stuff. We, we, we should definitely do that. We, you know, there's no excuse for us to not go to tournaments around Chicago, Stan. Right? There's no, there's no excuse. No excuse at all. So anyway, you know, these tournaments they're they're a lot of fun. I don't know if you've ever played in a tournament in a team tournament. I have with uh, with Shane before. It's a good time. There were some really, really good players in the top eight of this tournament, so I'm not going to try to go deeper than that, but we thought it would be fun to go through the top eight and talk about what decks uh, everybody chose to play with, if there was any kind of diverging kind of tech within the uh, deck list, spoiler there, it's not too much of that, but also talk about kind of what happened, who won, and all that kind of stuff. So let's start with the results of the top eight. Um, mm-hmm. based on their Swiss rankings, because that's where the notes were when I took them on Saturday nights. The number one seeded team coming out of the Swiss of this tournament was Max McVitie, Andrew Ellenbogen, and Clay Man, Familiar team to people who have paid attention to these before. That's yeah. right. And they were on... So Max McVitie was on Red Agro and Pioneer, Ellen Bogan was on Four Color Blink in Modern, and Clay Spickelmeyer was on Is It Delver in Legacy. Hey, guess what? Three good decks. Known good decks. No good decks. Here's the thing about these: they're all stock lists of these known decks. As far as I'm concerned, too, didn't really feel like there was any kind of surprising tech in any of them to me. Add us at on um, at the Dive Down on Twitter if you disagree, but um, you know. Monorite Aggro for Pioneer, kind of the slightly bigger version of this deck where you have Torbran kind of at the top of your curve. You don't Always, always see that I know, but it seems like frequently these days there's at least one or two tour brands in these lists to kind of make your stuff hit extremely hard through the end game. Four color blink in modern. This is not the Elementals version. This is the more valuey, controly one that we had seen earlier before Elementals has kind of returned to popularity. Don't worry, we'll have plenty of time to talk about that list later. But this is the one that has your eight planeswalkers in it as well. And then is it Delver? I'm not going to try to talk about Legacy too much, but it's a it's, it's a Delver, which these days really kind of means Murktide region. Right. Right. I think so. Second place. If you, if you oh, say good. so. Yep. If you say so. Known legacy lover, Stan, if you say so. Second place coming out of the Swiss. Tom Tracy, Skylar Warfield and Shay Straussman. More Chicago people. Am I right? Uh, Skylar is a Milwaukee person. Mm-hmm. But, but Shay, sh- Shay, is Chicago. Yep. Yep, And then I'm not familiar with Tom Tracy, but Tom was on Winoda, Naya Winoda. Skylar was on Four Color Elementals. We said we'd be talking about that in a minute. And Shay was on 8-Cast, or really in this case. So it was listed on uh, enter MTG Melee as Mono Blue Combo, uh, because there's not really 8-Cast in here. There's only 6, but this is your Kappa Cannonier, uh kind of you know, thought monitor thoughtcast deck that we've talked about a couple of times still popular in legacy. Four color, uh, color elementals that Skylar was on. You know, this is the sort of counterpoint to the other four color decks that we've seen where they're also running things like Risen Reef is the one that's the big differentiator here. You still have your planeswalkers, but the creature suite is extremely different. Not quite enough as much room for spells in the elemental decks. And then Winota Winota still doing it in Pioneer. This particular list run by Tom has Kenrith and a Ranger class as the kind of spicy tech pieces that are in the main deck here.
0: Yeah, it looks like they're cutting a fable for that Ranger class, Um, which is interesting because Ranger class, A, it produces a wolf to help trigger your Winota, but it also, I think, if you are threat light for the Winota triggers... Level two helps make those like small creatures that don't survive combat all too frequently actually kind of get big over time. Mm-hmm. And, and then not to mention level three eventually just like helps you dig through your deck so that you can find a Winoda or other big payoffs. If you want to just kind of win the old fashioned way.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Cool piece of tech. It's still interesting to me in Winota that there's always like two flex options in Winota to be able to put in Kenrith or something else or another piece of tech, uh, which we'll talk about later. There's a couple other Winota decks as well. All right. Third place coming out of the Swiss was this is Sean Gallagher's team on the official results, and that is Eric Hawkins on Mono Red in Pioneer, Sean Gallagher on Isaac. Is it Murktide in Modern and Patrick Tilson on Death and Taxes in Legacy? The interesting thing to me about the Legacy list, at least, is that uh, you know it's an 80-card Yorian Taxes list in Legacy, so still good enough, maybe even better. I've, you know, Some people on our Slack were recently talking about whether these decks are better in Modern or Legacy. They contended mostly that because the card quality is overall higher in Legacy, that these 80 card lists are better in Legacy as well. I don't know. It seems like Yorian is good kind of either way, but uh, it's cool to see a creature deck kind of make it to the, the top eight with in that format as well. The Is It Murktide list here from Sean, it's a pretty normal one, although this one has the two Ledger Shredder Version going on, which seems to be the consensus that we're converging on in Merktide with Ledger Shredder. Now, Stan, have you been playing Merktide with Shredder? Where are you kind of playing two? Are you playing four? Where where's your head at there?
0: Yeah, so I I played a lot of Merktide with Shredder this week. It's sort of the cherry on top of my dive down contribution for today. After talking, after I talk about another deck in slightly more detail, but to answer your question, uh, I tried a list that was three Shredder, no channeler and this NRG list is four Channeler to Shredder. So it's actually playing 14 creatures with play sets of DRC, Murktide, Ragavan, and then a couple Shredder. And it makes room for those Shredders by cutting an Archmage's Charm and a Lightning Bolt. Yep. It's still on 19 lands. And you know what I've been seeing some people do is like cut a land and something else for their Ledger Shredder or cut the Dragon Rage Channeler's entirely to make room for Shredder and something else. So I think people are still figuring out how important DRC versus shredder is and, and really how much that two men, a threat is uh, a cost in terms of like having a cheap threat that you're trying to protect for as long as possible.
2: Yeah. I will say in my limited uh, experience playing with, is it murtide here and there or um it does it is one of those decks where where sometimes i feel like i wish i did have a couple of more threats so i'm glad to see ledger shredder kind of come online to try to up the creature count just a little bit here and there but i'm sure you'll have some more to talk about with that later and also guess what there's a good amount of merc in this top eight so we might come back to it in a minute um the third player on this team was on mono red aggro and i think it's pretty much the same list as the first place team was playing uh, of mono red aggro, and in case you're unfamiliar with this, this is kind of all the good one drops. You get your Kamano faces, Kakazan, uh, Monastery Swiss Fear, Soul Scar Mage. Then you have Eidolon of the Great Revel, Bone Crusher, Giant, kind of getting bigger with your creatures. This one's not running your Tire end with Torbrin um, or Carry Zapper or like that. Yeah, this is running different, different kind of more more spells, lower to the ground creatures. Yeah, I think Lightning Strike's
1: like kind of a Good hedge where it's like if you're playing against, if you're expecting to play against a lot of removal where your Torbin's not going to do a ton of damage to you necessarily, then having Lightning Strike is probably effectively more damage. And then it's also good, as we mentioned, instant speed, three damage can be good in a pinch when typically most of the instant speed removal here in red has been two damage. So it can take care of someone playing a Grease Fang against you or a three toughness blocker that you want to get rid of at instant speed. Those are all kind of advantages to Lightning Strike. It's just kind of, I think... A hedge either way, where it's like Torbin is a great way to close the door if you're able to maintain some kind of board, but Lightning Strike is pro- maybe just kind of a, a more even floor to
2: the card. Yep, yep, absolutely. All right, moving on to the fourth place team. This is uh, Nick Carlson on Mono Red Burn in Legacy, Matt Carlson on Four Color Elementals in Modern, and Nate Mulbach on Mono Green Devotion in Pioneer. You know, I thought that this was interesting just as someone who doesn't play Legacy to take a close look at the mono-red burn list in Legacy. If you want to play Legacy sometime and you mostly have modern cards, this is your place to start, I think, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I believe this deck is only $300 in paper, and really it's mostly the same thing (laughs) as burn in uh, in modern there's less creatures uh, maybe not less there's the same number of creatures it's goblin guide idol on the great revel monastery swift spear it's a lot of the same spells including Rift bolt lava spike searing blaze lightning bolt but what you have instead to finish your spell suite is chain lightning lightning uh, Fire Blast and Price of Progress, all of which have been reprinted somewhat recently and are more reasonably costed cards. And then you have Sulfuric Vortex as a way to kind of keep your opponents from getting life and take t- take damage every turn. Um, the sideboard is pretty, pretty normal too. So if you ever want to get into Legacy for cheap, I think Mono Red Burn is a way to start. In the middle on this one was, like I mentioned, Four Color Elementals, you know, it's another list that's really close to the same as the one that the second place team, Shay Straussman's team, was running. Um, Risen Reef, still good. Maybe maybe pushing the more controlling versions out a little bit, but here it is again. And then uh, Mono Green Devotion, this also looked like a pretty stock list to me of this particular deck, although I'm not sure. Are they always running Kiora Behemoth Beckoner these days, or is this a different twist on this one? Yeah, so what
1: Kiora is doing interestingly to this deck is it's kind of doing like a Voyaging Sater type thing where it's like hey you can untap like a target land also but it's any permanent with the minus and then anytime you have a creature ETB with power four or more you draw a card so it, it synergizes really nicely with basically any creature you're going to play in the deck, but also hitting really strongly off of your Storm the Festival, where mm-hmm. you bring in a creature or two and you draw a couple cards. It's just pulling double duty for you, rather than just kind of say, it's, it's, it can ramp you, but it also can draw you cards, and it has a ton of loyalty. So people really don't want to attack it and waste a bunch of their damage against you, because if they're trying to damage you down, they're racing you. So cure is
2: almost unattackable. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Next team on the list. So we have, uh, here we go. It's Taylor Kaiser on Jeskai Day's Undoing in Legacy. That deck just keeps coming back. We talked about it in passing a few a month ago or so, and it just keeps popping up at the top of these lists. Brandon Nelson on Is It Murktide and Justin Plocher on Naya Winota. Guess what? These are all just good decks in the format. <laughs> these are like the good 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 versions of, of decks that people are really used to, although it's fascinating to see that the Jeskai Days Undoing deck in Legacy is not running a full play set of Days Undoing. It's only running two of them. And it's running some other cards that I wouldn't think would be Legacy kind of like playable, including Shark Typhoon as a one-of. Just kind of like interesting cards that are good in lots of different formats making their way all the way back to Legacy as well, even though they didn't seem quite as extremely cost efficient as legacy would usually demand the isn't Murktide player here uh brandon nelson was running three shredders in this one they even cut one Merktide regent to be able to fit enough shredders into the list which is something that i had mentioned that michael rapp was talking about on twitter last week uh stan what do you think about that particular idea like do you ever feel like you have too many uh Murktides and you'd rather have a different threat it's so i i did that
0: too to be honest, I I was playing three Merktide this week, and I wouldn't say it's so much that you have too many Merktides, it's that you find them eventually. You don't really want to have them in your opening hand. Shredder is a better threat at two mana to have in your opener. And just because, you know, you have the considers, you have the expressive iterations, you have the bobbles, and you have Shredder to dig through your deck pretty aggressively, once you can cast a Merktide, it's not that hard to find it. So having a little bit less vulnerability to graveyard hate while also having just like a cheap early threat. That's good in your opening hand. I think gives ledger shredder a little bit of bonus
2: points there. At least if you're weighing those two cards against one another. Yep. That's awesome. And then the Naya deck here, the Winota deck in pioneer one Kenrith. Well, one card that stood out stood out to me that was interesting was in their sideboard they had a couple of extraction specialists, which we actually talked a little bit about after the tournament that the explorer tournament that we played, where people were playing it as you mentioned in that Abzan humans list as just a value card like this is just maybe a good card that's going to see play. What do you what do you all think about that? I mean
0: the interesting thing with it is just you don't have a ton of targets for it. Your targets are like. You're eight uh, Mana Dork Elves, Prosperous innkeeper, and Voice of Resurgence. And that's it. So in that way, maybe in the matchups where Voice is really good. For instance, I think
2: perhaps you bring in Extraction Specialist, but I'm, I'm kind of just guessing there. Yeah, that, that was the, the target that stood out to me on that list that you mentioned definitely was thinking that voice having you know voice is a th- a kind of threat against control decks trying to keep them from casting spells on your turn and getting tokens that's all stuff that doesn't get stopped by the ability on extraction specialist that says the, the creature that's brought back can not attack or block until extraction specialist dies which is a pretty a pretty interesting part of that card did you run against that card in our explorer tournament when you played against yoke did that did that particular card come up or no not that I recall. Yeah.
0: It was really that two mana human that comes down and gives a uh, 1-1 one, one counter to everything. Yeah, Thalia's Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Yeah, yeah. Thalia's Lieutenant. That was the card that really came up.
2: Yeah, sure and, was. And ruined my night. I actually lost, uh, just a slight digression, uh, playing a lot of Explorer this week, I actually lost to a human's deck with a card called like General's Assistant or something like that, that gives legendary cards plus one plus one or something. it was like why i was like what is this two that's just pummeling me legendary tribal yeah i was it was interesting anyway uh i guess i only i wanted to note this because i kind of feel like extraction specialist is a card to keep an eye on uh in the formats that we play because that downside of the creature not being able to attack or block is not as bad as you think it is all right sixth place coming out of the swiss is a team full our friends of the podcast. We had Zach Allen, former guest on the show on Blue Eye Control and Legacy. Zoe Riederman, uh, a Chicago local player who definitely destroyed me uh, in a store championship in December on Living End. And then Jesse Robkin, who we talked about a bunch last week on Is It Prowess and Pioneer. Wow. Team, friends of the dive down. What do you think about these selections?
1: Yeah. I like that Jesse is, is repping Is It Prowess. I think it's an extremely strong deck. And, yeah, I'm just I'm happy to see it uh, being played well. I mean, we know that Jesse is really big into Ledger Shredder, and I think this is probably the strongest home for Ledger Shredder in the format. I think it's good in, in a format where you know, you're up against a lot of mono green, probably imagining a lot of players bringing like Azorius control because that's a good deck in the format that has a lot of play. Maybe even something like Arc Light Phoenix. Being able to put a clock on people, I think, is really important. And also being able to go in the air above maybe some of the mid range decks and even mono red aggro. If they're trying to, if they're having to switch to the defensive, if you're above them and you can quickly grow your Ledger Shredders and Sprite Dragons out of those burn spells, if you play
2: smartly and knowing Jesse, she did. Uh, I think this is a strong choice for the tournament. And then I believe that this is Zoe's second top eight on living end in modern. I think she had an individual one a couple of months ago, and now there's this team one as well. And I think that she did a perfect during the Swiss on, on Saturday. I saw a tweet that said that she did not drop a match, which is wild. And then last thing I would say is I really don't get how, a deck like Azorius Control can be good in Legacy, but a lot of people are playing it. Of course, Zach is a master of playing Control in Legacy, but some of the cards that stood out to me on this again is like Supreme Verdict apparently is a card that is good enough to play in Legacy.
0: Who knew? I do think Azorius Control is a little bit of a misnomer here. He's got a a Tropical Island. He's got some Pyroblast.
2: Also has Carpet of Flowers in the sideboard as a three of for for, uh, anti-blue tech, which is pretty cool too. You know what I really want to call out? Two Wandering Emperor. Yes, I, I, I was going to mention that too in Legacy. Actually, all of these, all of the—I believe that the other control decks that are in here as well are also playing Wandering Emperor. Yeah. So the team that's registered to K- Taylor Kaiser, who came in fifth, who we just talked about, their Legacy person was playing one Wandering Emperor, and then there's more coming later as we go through this.
0: Can I just a quick digression, please? Of course. Highlight some of the cards that Stan bought this week. Oh. Oh. What are these? What are these? Tell them, Two Wandering Emperors. Listeners. He's showing them the, right now.
2: The, that's, the Wandering that's Emperors. Right. That's right. I'll
0: show you the other cards later. They're, they're cool. I Great.
1: do want to point out a card in going back to Jesse's is a prowess list that I think is, is strong and is eat me alive and explore. And I think it's a smart sideboard option is Young Pyromancer which in these decks can truly take over a game like if you're even something against like mono green or where they can do a couple of large creatures against you if you're able to create multiple pyromancer tokens really is strong against their you know, any any kind of mid-range deck that's like trying to come up the board against you you can go wide and take over really
2: quickly with all the spells you can cast in this deck all right 7th place in the swiss is we had Rajarshi Colaventi on eight cast. Then we had Marty Silverberg on "Is It Murktide?" There it is again. And then Vincent Daniels on "Is It Prowess and Pioneer?" Um, you know the eight cast list. We've talked about it. It is what it is. I thought that this deck was a lot cheaper. <laughs> Might be a lot cheaper than it is because it doesn't run any dual lands. But it is a two thousand dollar deck in paper. So if you want to get a legacy, don't look at this one. Even though it doesn't have dual lands, uh, that's cheap it, for legacy two thousand. <laughs> It is it is still cheap, but it's still two thousand dollars. Yeah, I was looking at these prices. I was like, Oh my god, some of these lists are like five thousand dollars. Dude, what's another student loan? No worries, no worries. They yeah, they have really friendly interest rates. The Is It Merktide list, two shredders back down on this one. So we're we're taking our foot back off the gas a little bit here. And then in the Is It Prowess deck for Pioneer, the main difference that I saw here is just that it looked like they were running a Fading Hope main instead of having a um, Spike Field hazard, which is like a different kind of threat I guess you're looking for for some cheap cheap early interaction. But other than that, it's pretty much the same list. A lot of people on Is It Prowess this week, this week um, and we found that too on Magic Online last week. Hmm. And then finally, we had the 8th place team with... William Ho on blue-white control in Legacy, Travis Brown on blue-white hammer, and then Roy Varney on mono-red aggro. Nothing new about hammer. Nothing new about mono-red aggro, really, in this case. But the blue-white control list in this one is pretty interesting, is that it has Timeless Dragons (laughs) as one of the kill conditions, which is another card that I was like, whoa, okay, Legacy Powerhouse Timeless Dragon. And then one thing occurred to me after looking at these lists three times in this top eight is that it's, it's interesting that this deck is sort of like a whole breacher control deck. They all play this whole breacher card that, you know, whenever someone tries to, so I don't know if you, everybody's familiar with former EDH menace, whole breacher, but what it says is that's Shane's new favorite format. So he probably knows all about, Hull Oh, you're breacher. very into it. Yeah. Well, it's banned though. So whole breacher's too generic and a, blue for a 3-2 with flash that says if an opponent would draw a card except the first one they draw in each of their draw steps instead you create a creature token so it stops them from drawing extra cards and gives you mana when they try to is how I read that which is that's a brutal (laughs) brutal card so I guess I see why it was banned in EDH for sure but it's interesting that it's just sort of a protectable disruption thing even in constructed legacy as well so Before we go further, I think we should congratulate the team that won. And that is the team of Chicago folks that we knew. So Zoe Riederman, Jess Robkin, and Zach Allen, who is not a Chicago person, but, you know, friend of the show that you two have interviewed before.
0: He's a Midwesterner, so. Yeah, Michigan. Practically
2: a Chicagoan. Yeah. Yeah, If Chicago were a state, I'm sure Zach and
0: his part of Michigan would fall into it.
2: (laughs) Right. Chicago's a state of mind. We know (laughs) Well, congratulations to them. Yeah, that was awesome to see, especially, you know, waiting. I'm still kind of waiting for to have some, like, great stories pop up in the chat here, but uh, it's awesome. They're probably still driving back from Minneapolis, which is a, a 12-hour drive. Oh, dear. I heard it's a 1,000-hour it's a driver.
0: Yeah, but there's no speed limits in Minnesota, so you can you can get here faster
2: than a 1,000 hours if you just put the pedal to the metal. Warp 1. Okay, so let's take a look at the meta that was actually represented in this top eight. So in Legacy, it was one Delver, three Control List, two 8-cast Burn and Taxes, which is pretty interesting. A lot of that Control List and still some of the 8-cast floating around, which is pretty cool. Modern, three Mark Tide, two Elementals, one Fork Color Blink. So regardless of what you think about the, the differences between elementals and four color control slash blink, you know, they're very similar shells with different kind of tweaks for different metagames. That's 75% of this top eight was two decks, basically, you know, Murtide and four color and then hammer and living end. Mm-hmm. And then finally in pioneer, we had three mono red aggro two Winota two is it prowess and one green devotion. And felt I like thought
1: aggro was dead in Pioneer,
2: right? Here we
0: are. I well, do kind of feel it, like it just took Ledger Shredder to unlock it. It seems like to unlock Mono Red aggro in Pioneer. Well, and or just ag- aggro in general. I mean, Winota <laughs> is a combo deck.
2: Yeah. yeah, and Mono Red is just burn, just burn. But it's interesting. These these this top eight really felt like there's not really any outliers to me here you know, it just kind of feels like these are some of the decks that people think are the cream of the crop of these formats right now. And it just kind of worked. I know there's a lot of people who think that team tournaments reduce variance, basically, because you know, you kind of have backup shots at getting your wins in different rounds, depending on how your team is. And so they tend to be more, less variance to who gets to the top eight, better skill to getting to the top eight, you know, And uh, I wonder if that's part of the reason that these kind of very meta meta decks rose to the top of the list. What do you all think about this? Yeah, I mean, the
1: thing that I noticed about this is it's it feels pretty consolidated where there's like many three copies, two copies, things like that. And it's not like people, I think, like seeing seven or eight different decks in a top eight, but that's not the case here. And Perhaps it's just that people identified the decks that would be strongest for a given weekend. They're just overtly good decks in the hands of good players, and so they're able to succeed with them. I am mildly surprised to see Monored Aggro being brought to the table by uh, many new, known good players, and I think that the deck is good, and I'm consistently impressed with it when I'm playing with it or against it. I think Shondra Dress to Kill is an amazing Planeswalker in the deck, but I'm still just a little bit surprised that it was able to succeed so well in a field of probably a lot of mid-range decks in terms of slightly larger creature decks when monogreen devotion is so strong but i think the consistency and and durability of the deck is is pretty is is there for sure yeah i'm curious to see how the growth and evolution of is it prowess in the format continues like will it in any way supplant mono red aggro as like the aggro deck of choice. I'm curious about that. I'm not. I mean, it's a tempo deck. It's not an aggro deck. Oh, okay. It feels like an aggro deck to me, the prowess deck, but um, yeah, I agree I think, with Shane on this one. So, oh, great. Uh, and then in, in modern and some, some, I just feel like modern is for all the people that play it and all of the tournaments that happen, I feel like people are consolidating around fewer and fewer decks at this point where it's like play elementals, play like a you can play a four color control blinky deck, you can play murktide. Uh you know there's a few like Yogma stalwarts, there's a few every once in a while living end can have a great weekend. Uh but largely I feel like
2: modern is consolidating. Yeah, for what it's worth and this is not the most re- reliable thing in the world. Is there's an archetype breakdown on Magic MTG melee, okay, that we can look at by format. If you hit the Modern button on here, and the reason that it's not super reliable is because people mislabel their decks all the time. But here's what the breakdown looks like for what was registered for Modern for this tournament. The top of the list is is it Merc Tide with 24 entries out of like 133 teams? I think there's like 133 teams in this. Um, is it Merc Tide? 24 is 20% of the meta out, outside of it that's unreal the next deck on the list that our next deck on the list that they had is Yawgmoth with nine four color elementals with eight and then affinity with seven and down from there so there isn't even any other deck that was registered more than 10 times in modern it's just isn't it murktide and a bunch of stuff people love murktide This feels like a
1: consistent deck with play right but like you know I think a lot that, that, that gets us three in the top eight as well. I think you know, good players do well with it. It's a strong deck. I know Stan likes
2: playing it. I like playing it too. Yeah, Stan, whatever, what do you Dave. think about these? <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm still just thinking about what changes set and how much I categorically, categorically disagree. I, I think modern is super diverse still. To be honest, and, and I think the MTGO results really bear that out. If you look at, like, challenges and prelim data, it's it's more than just those four or five decks you mentioned. But I don't want to dither over how diverse Modern is. I, I just think it's like, you know, this is one tournament. This is a team tournament. It's cool. Good players did well. I, I think that's actually more telling than anything. Like, we know some of these players in the top eight because they're such consistent competitors, yeah. And they would gravitate to some of these known archetypes. Obviously, like we're we're more familiar with the archetypes in pioneer and modern at this point. And I think it's probably not surprising that there's so much murktide because it has proven to be one of the top 5 most powerful decks in the format ever since MH2 came out and I also think it's one of those decks that rewards good players because it is so skill intensive based on how you're managing your removal, your interaction, and I think Those tend to be the types of mid-range controlling strategies that reward the players who can make the smartest decisions about their opponent's gameplay as well. And for that reason, like, Zoe playing Living End in the first place as uh, as the winners of this tournament is kind of interesting to me just because, like, Living End is such a mostly linear strategy that's interaction tends to be more proactive than reactive. And I think that kind of also speaks to, like, the type of strategy that a really good player might gravitate to where they can just like position themselves into a winning line and just sort of take over the game
2: with a single combo card. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And like you said, this top eight was full of good players. So it was nice to see, I think a lot of the really, really good players in the Midwest kind of bubble up to the top, pick these good decks and kind of remind us what it's like to, to see high level magic. Uh, And I didn't get to watch any of the stream, but I know a lot of people in the discord were, so I think it's, Uh, really cool that energy is putting the effort into doing streaming still at this point in time, when it seems to be less and less uh, enticing to many of the other bigger tournament organizers. So keep it up. You legends of Buffalo Grove. We appreciate you.
0: (laughs) You know what I love about energy. They also have a really good singles inventory. Just, I'm just going to call that out. Like you can buy, you can actually buy a decent amount of singles from them. And since COVID that's been harder and harder with some of the other stores in Chicago.
2: I, am, I need to add them to my list of people that I check more frequently. I also yeah. need to make sure I know where Buffalo Grove is because I have lived in Chicago for 20 years and I don't know exactly how far it is from me at any given time. It, it's close enough. Close enough. All right. Well, I think that was a great tournament to take a look through, but why don't we stop there and move on to talking about what we've been playing the last week and maybe give some grades. Stay with us.
0: gentlemen can i tell you about a new soap that i tried this week if he didn't i'd be upset we are trying new soaps every week this is a body soap (sighs) you cleaned your body i did soap i I finally found the time to take a shower and i
1: was gifted a bar of soap from our friends over at barrister man called la Vanille. um i got some of that as well i have not used it yet because i'm I never use bar soap, so I'm I'm, I'm waiting for my wife to bust open that one. So, the interesting thing about the name is that
0: I saw it, and I'm like, oh, this is probably just lavender mixed with vanilla. Seems pretty straightforward. Then I was reading about its actual scent profile and the history of the fragrance, and it turns out that it's way more sophisticated. It's not just like the simple concoction of two familiar scents, but it's based on this centuries-old perfume base called mousse de Saxe. okay that's been that has basically been lost to time more or less but our friends over at Barrister man obtained a sample of this discontinued fragrance and they use it as the base of their la Vanille bar soap which does contain lavender and vanilla but other fragrances as well and most importantly not only did i enjoy using it and i thought i smelled good but my landlord the boss <laughs> most importantly <laughs> your landlord My landlord gave it the oh yeah okay
1: (laughs) well uh, just just that they just what they what they walked by you and they're like oh just you
0: know it it was the nod of approval which (laughs) is 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 hard to come by. In addition to de sacs, which is a kind of a fun read if you if you Google that, um, you know it's a combination of cedar and a very elegant musk, which I thought was kind of like the secret ingredient to what made this a sophisticated fragrance that I really liked using for myself too. And I'm just admit, kind of
2: making, nice your about ele- more, <laughs> making your musk more elegant, Stan, that's that's real danger. I'm excited to have elegant musks around after all the inelegant musks which we had the last week or so.
0: Yeah, that's the secret. So really love this new soap. i have just been using lavender for the longest time and I feel like this is like I've graduated to something a
1: little bit more mature. Who we'll stepping that scent game up. Yeah. So you know, we keep talking about Barrister and Man, and the reason is, is because the products are very cool. They and you know, and,
2: and they pay us with yeah. samples and yeah, This great. is this is hashtag sponsored, <laughs> but hashtag we do sponsored. we do love the products. Yes, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> it's great working with Will is great. If you have an interest in body soaps, shaving soaps, shaving lotions, all that kind of good stuff for you, your, uh, your loved ones, for presents, for yourself or others, head on over to Barrister and man, M-A-N-N, use coupon code the Down 2022 You get 15% off your first order using that code and Will knows that you came through us and we appreciate it. So thanks a lot.
0: And we're back, and our first deck to talk about in this week's Dive Down is coming from someone who thinks that modern is shrinking, and yet here we are testing a whole new
1: strategy. (laughs) Yeah, testing testing a new strategy. Is it a good strategy? Listen. I'm excited to find out. Listen and find out, Stanislav and Dave and listeners from the Dive Down Nation. Shane, what did you play and why? All right, so I played the sort of Naya Combos deck that we have been seeing pop up here and there in different forms. We've seen like 80-card Yorian versions. We have seen normal old 60-card versions. I got this list from last Saturday's Challenge. Richard Neal, known on Twitter as Seles Neal, got top four. He had a 7-0 run in the Swiss with this deck. He lost in the semis versus Canister. No shame in that. And... So yeah, so what's interesting about this is one, uh, the top 8 top 4 finish, the 70 Swiss, and the fact this was a new version of an archetype that I think people are continuing to iterate upon and I wanted to see how I like this deck. Are you sure it's just one archetype? <laughs> I guess I guess it's sort of an amalgamation of multiple archetypes or it's creating a whole new archetype of just various combos within a single deck and using some known good cards to have some fun with and you know if, if you've known me in the past i think i've talked about this on the, you know the podcast i've dabbled in creature combo decks now and then the, the druid and vizier type decks when those were more viable the heliod combo decks those were all my wheelhouse in the past never in my like primary choices of decks but something that I would like uh, testing out now and then, I remember doing some side events with like Druid Vizier stuff and uh, and those decks fell out of favor in the metagame. I had to move on from even trying to experiment with those from time to time. But this deck appeared and this strategy has appeared. These strategies have appeared. And so I was just like, yeah, this seems like a good a time as any to see how I like this deck and see if I think that the strategy has legs in today's modern. So what's the concept of this deck, and really, it's, it has multiple combo lines within a single deck, and then some just good Naya cards to round things out. So, if, you know, there's the devoted druid combo along with the Singleton main deck Luxier to generate infinite mana. There's no uh, Vizier of Remedies here. It's just a Luxier. And you can either you know, draw that naturally, you can get it with your Ur- Four Urza Saga in this deck. That's a good good way to get the Luxier. And there's, of course, the in a deck like this, you're going to have the Creator and there is one in the sideboard to tutor up there. There's also the Plainbound Accomplice and Vivian on the Hunt combo, which gets you an instant win with four mana, a bound Accomplice, and Vivian on the hunt in hand, barring, of course, uh, any interaction. And then there are a bunch of other cards that kind of support the overall strategy. There's ignoble Noble Hierarch providing ramp. There's Ragavan providing some potential ramp and also a must-kill threat to try to start stripping your removal from the opponent. There's a couple Endurance here for general value, general utility. I thought it's also possible to shuffle your graveyard back into your deck if needed to try to combo off again with Vivian if you have that opportunity. So like if you end up with a Felidar Guardian in the graveyard, you can try to reset that, get that stuff back into your library with Endurance if needed. Then, of course, there's some uh, Planeswalkers. You have the Vivian as noted above. You have Karn, the Great Creator for Utility. Tutoring up all of the you know, sideboard pieces you might need, including the Luxier, also gives you a way to win with your infinite mana generated off of the Devoted Druid. You, know, you make a bunch of mana, you tutor up the Walking Ballista, and go from there. There's also four Renin and Six, just for value. Also, Renin Six, of course, proves fantastic for ensuring you keep making your land drops. You can recur your Urza Saga for value if you're trying to go for sort of a construct beatdown plan over time. And so that's always good. Other Saga targets included a Shadow Spear, a Pyrite Spell Bomb, and then there's like three bolts and a Singleton Unholy Heat for some general interaction or maybe some reach off of the bolts. Yeah. I
2: think you missed one combo in here. Oh, please. So... This is a Karn sideboard package that's also running liquid metal coating, which doesn't always happen anymore, Mm -hmm. right? It's medium, so you can also go and do liquid metal coating plus Basaju and Renin-6 if you want to get into that whole weirdness too, right? Oh yeah, it's always a classic. Yeah, the Baseju thing
1: with Ren and Six—that's always that's that's an
2: option. I don't know. I
1: mean, that's it that doesn't—it's not the spot, same type right? of combo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not an instant win. I kept looking for more stuff. I was like, "Is there even more that meets the eye here?" But no, okay. uh, I don't think so. I think that's really what this deck is trying to do. So, no. the, primary the primary way that I think the deck wants to win is playing by an accomplice into Vivian, because that is sort of the cleanest, the fastest, the potential fastest instant win combo. I think. I mean, of course, I think there's also the you know, the devoted druid with Luxier is kind of a, another way to, to try to win. And then there's a somewhat anemic beatdown plan. Like if you just do a lot with your Urza sagas, if you get more than one of them, you can start generating more constructs and things like that. And I think that's another way you can potentially win. Vivian on the hunt does have a a minus that just is a single... It's just a minus one that makes a 4-4 four, four green rhino warrior creature token. So you could try to... If you get a Vivian on the board but are unable to combo off or something like that, she can start generating just raw value even in the face of removal where you just say, hey, I'm going to make a 4-4 four, four rhino every turn and come at me. If, if you if you let me stick, I'm going to be able to generate some bodies as well. Yep. So I think that's kind of the general the general plans in this deck and executing those is, is kind of an, another thing altogether. But I think that uh, before I go into the strengths of the deck, Stan, do you have any questions or observations about the, the construction or, or concepts behind this deck? No. Perfect. I was hoping not to have to answer any. <laughs> Great. So the, let's talk about the strengths of the deck first. And I think that ramp is good. I think, you know, there's some good ramp opportunities here with Ignoble Hierarch, with the Ragavan Treasures, Devoted Druid. Those are all cards that can accelerate your game plan, kind of no matter what it ends up being. And there's never any reason to not want to have more access to mana. And I think cards like Ignoble Hierarch, cards like Ragavan, those are the things that start drawing out your opponent's removal, even though they're not essential to your game plan. So it's kind of like a a giver of runes in a lot of these strategies where it's like, hey, you're going to have to kill me unless you want me to protect what I'm really trying to do here. What I like a little bit more about stuff like Ignoble Hierarch and Ragavan is that, one, they can get you to a faster combo kill with Planebound Accomplice. So you can do that like on turn three, for example. And also it kind of belies what you're trying to do. Like, I think Giver of Runes is somewhat obvious, where like, sometimes it's in like Hammer, but uh, more often than not, I think people are going to have a good idea. Like, oh, they're going to have a more important threat to protect, so I can wait to see what they're going to try to do. Whereas like a Ragavan staring you down on turn one, or, or even like a Noble Hierarch, people are going to point a lot of fatal pushes at those especially early on, like on game one. And so they're they're going to be spending those valuable spells on stuff that, yeah, sure, you'd love to have a Ragavan around, but it's not as essential to what you're trying to do as other cards in the deck. Also, I think just there's just some raw power here against non-interactive decks. Like the matches where I won pretty conclusively or I felt like the deck was doing what it needed to do was where I was just able to piece together like Planebound, Accomplice, Indivivian against things like... Tron or Eldrazi Tron, or just kind of like decks where they they were trying to set up something that's going over the top. But I was able to get there a little bit more quickly, or the type of the type of combo that I had in place, they just weren't prepared for. and didn't have really, you know, a Chalice on one isn't going to stop playing Bomb into Vivian or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's just some general raw power level. Like the combo is straightforward to execute; it works. Like once you memorize the combo a few times. And once you memorize the combo, then you're able to just execute it by memory, because it's it's not that hard. Like, once you do it, you get what's going on. And another thing I liked about this deck is that the Urza Saga, of course, is an extremely strong card. Gives you, like, a B plan or even a C plan, if needed. Like, I did beat Esper Control mostly just by being able to play, like, four Sagas over the course of the game, and just create so many three three four four constructs that... You know, the opponent has to deal with those some way, shape, or form, and eventually you can get there.
0: Yeah, not to mention just, like, putting together a couple constructs and then fetching a Shadow Spear is often more than a lot of decks can handle, unless they have, like, an actual prismatic ending effect that can just one-shot it
1: cheaply. Yeah, exactly. So I think Saga is actually really important to this deck, where it's, like, yeah, it gets you your luxier, but it also gives you an actual semblance of a beatdown plan because largely the creatures of this deck are not very good. Um, and that's, I think, getting us into what I thought were some of the weaknesses. Like, and, and I know this wouldn't be Shane doing a Sleeve, leave Heave without having more weaknesses than strengths of a deck. But I, I think there's a few with the way this deck is constructed. Um, maybe the way that I was trying to play it, of course. I always want to give a little hedge there. Where it's like, you know, of course, uh, Neil went seven zero in the Swiss. You know, he knows what he's doing with it. Or had some good matchups. I, I didn't notice the matchups he mentioned in his run. And he beat Living End. He beat hmm? Azorius Hammer. He beat Living End. He beat Azorius Control. He beat Is It Murktide? Then mono white taxes, then mono green Tron, then is it merktite again, and then lost to Living End in the semis, which uh, canister was on. So, looking at these decks, I see some non-interactive ones, right? In terms of like mono green Tron, Living End of course is tr- is trying to set up its win, but I think that. Uh, this deck can win in the face of living end where it's just like, Hey, yeah, on turn three or turn four, I'm just going to do my thing. Right. Uh, how often that's going to happen is another story. Right. And so, but I think that these, uh, a number of these matchups I think would be challenging. Like Murtide with a lot of counter magic, with putting a clock on you, I actually would be not happy to play against, with the removal against small creatures and things like that. But, you know, I think that there's, there's a good mix of decks, that Neil faced down, and I think some of them were the non-interactive ones that I was talking more about. But getting back into the weakness end of things, I think that draw- the number one thing that I think is an issue with this deck is drawing the Vivian combo cards is very bad. Yeah. There's, there's no way to get them back into your deck if you, if you just draw them. And trying to piece together the combo on board with like a Felidar Guardian with a Karmic Guide with a Kiki Jiki in your hand is basically impossible unless you're able to like untap next turn and then and then be able to like okay well can I do this if I cast this onto board now and then like use the ETB trigger to get this going but like unless you're going against someone who has essentially no interaction or something like that it can be really tough to to try to survive until the next turn and 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 cat and even have the mana to cast it sometimes. So especially because like if you're playing bon accomplice, the Vivian into play, then you have to sacrifice it. Like unless it gets a flicker. Like if you flicker it with Felidar, then that one's new. It's not the same one that you flash into play. So that one will stay. So like if you don't have a Felidar in hand, like let's say you have Karmic Guide, right? And mm-hmm. you can you can tutor up. You can sacrifice your playing Bon accomplice. Get your Felidar. Flicker the Vivian with Felidar the first time, but you're like, well, I don't have Karmic Guide; it's in my hand. Then you at least have a, another Vivian remaining on board to to get something going. I think the next turn, but it's just it's still kind of a challenge. I think you could likely. I think I think the play there is probably then you can sacrifice a Felidar, get Kiki, and then you get like Car- then you can cast your Karmic Guide, getting your Felidar back and then you can start flickering what you need, but still, like, it's just asking a lot. And having one-ofs in your deck that you want to start with, like, a pod chain on is just not a great feeling. So one thing I was thought about adding was just, like, maybe, like, a one-of Valakut Awakening just to like hedge against this is like a fine idea. This is a Naya deck. It's like a fine card to cycle away anything you draw and get something back. You have to cycle it away and get it back in your deck, or you're just cycling away. You get it back in your deck, right? Like so, you 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 put the cards back in your deck with
2: Valak awakening on the bottom, and then you draw that many. I guess for me, the the card that I just keep I just keep looking for. Season pyromancers and fable of the mirror breakers maybe i'm broken by pioneer explorer but where's the fables where's the Season pyromancers I mean, that,
1: that, that puts in your graveyard which is like not exactly where you want it to be i guess if you like if you got to the the karmic guide or whatever you can get it back out of the graveyard with that
2: so i just mean to look for whatever pieces you want yes that's a so thing if too. you're like no, I'm going this, you know, I'm on this plan. Oh wait, I messed this up. Well, now I can discard a card that's worthless to me and go ahead and, and try to um, yeah find something else. Yeah. That's, I, I'm kind of going more direct in one of my
1: recommendations later on. And I think that there are ways that this deck maybe gain a little bit more consistency, or I want to test it gaining more consistency. I just didn't have enough time in this week's testing, I, I did play a lot of matches with this deck, but I didn't want to like start iterating on it. You know, when I'm trying to give a decent critique against the deck as built, but uh, more on that later. Another issue with this deck is you can't do enough with devoted druid mana, even if you piece things together. Like this is one of my primary issues with the deck. Honestly, is like if druid doesn't die, if you get Luxier on it, then you have one thing to do with the mana. And that's Karn the Great Creator getting a walking ballista. And so like, even if you have Vivian available to you and you can cast it from hand, you can't sack the Druid to it
2: and then win the game. Like, Yeah, I mean, the only thing that you can do is have infinite mana and cast one of your three drops Yes. and Vivian and then win the game. Yeah, like, right? it,
1: and that's if your mana, if you have access to like a... red Red. mana or something like that as well. And so like, if you can get like really lucky, like you can use Vivian to mill five cards and then find Felidar. And then that goes in your hand. And if you have an extra white mana, you can then can cast the Felidar and win from there by flickering your Vivian starting the chain. That's still like a pretty loose thing where it's like, yeah, I'm going to find my one of Felidar on my top five cards with my infinite mana available to me or something like that. One thing I've seen some mention of is using Minsk, the beloved ranger from AFR. And I think he is Naya mana, three mana, and creates a Boo 1-1 hamster token with haste on ETB. And then you can pay X to pump a creature with 1-1 for each X you pump into it. So let's say you have infinite mana. You cast Vivian with it, and you like you know you make like 500 mana or something, right? And you cast Vivian. You can then sacrifice the devoted druid to Vivian, get Minsk, and then win from there. If you have ex- if you have the ability, if you have the extra pips, well, actually you don't need the extra pips because Minsk Minx just appears on the battlefield from the sack. So that would give you a hasty hamster, and you can make it a, a big, big hamster friend to win with i think that is kind of a necessary inclusion honestly in this deck because that gives you a way to win
0: why not just put it in your land it, slots like why not just play the uh the green afr land
1: yeah Hy- layer of the Hydra. that's another good idea why not like i think that'd be probably a good replacement for like one of your your forests great mm-hmm. call stan that's another good option. I think what, what Minx does is it, it just, yeah, that's that's two then. We have we have Lair of the Hydra, then we have Minx, and then why not? That's something that you could do with Vivian that you couldn't do before.
0: I, I mean, the other thing is because these decks, and I see this all the time, like these card decks will just put Ballistas in the side, but a Ballista is also a good card to draw a lot because of how flexible it is.
1: Yeah. I mean, you do have to start shaving cards, you know, then once we start saying, well, what what else are we going to run main? It's like even trying to shave a couple endurance and then you're like, well, I'll put one minx, I'll put like, you know, I'll start doing some, maybe like some tutors or something like that. Or if I want to put, you know, start changing my land base. And that all kind of like makes the deck work in different ways. And so like, remember like, I think another way to use infinite mana is even like Duskwatch recruiter, right? Like that's something right. that people used, but I think Minsk is like a little more direct. It's just like, Hey, uh, I'm going to, I can win off this. And I think, I think Duskwatch can as well. I got another one for you.
0: A- again, this is a land. Kessig wolf run. Which, oh
1: yeah. That's an old school the stuff. Power and gives the creature trample. Yep. But you have to have a creature. That's a real thing. So like with... um, But your deck is all creatures. Like it's mostly creatures. Yeah, but I'm saying like, let's say, I mean, if you only have Druid and Vivian and you sacrifice a creature, if you sacrifice Druid to Vivian, then you can win from there, right? That's what I'm saying with like something like Minsk. So it's just like, I think there's a lot of ways that you can keep tweaking what's going on here. And I think it's the kind of stuff that people will probably keep thinking about right like what are more pieces i can put into this deck that don't dilute my mana they don't dilute my core game plan but they give me more options to win with more different types of cards that i find on my in in my hand on the battlefield etc you can of course just start making four four rhinos with vivian like if you just have a bunch of mana with druid and you get Vivian on the board early, you can just start minusing her to make some 4-4s, and that's some pressure down. And I didn't really have a lot of chance to explore that strategy, but I think that there's something there as well. But I think this what I'm getting at is that there's like a lack of value of these individual cards when you're not just winning. Right? Like you're not going to be winning a lot of games with just Ragavan and Endurance alone. Like your devoted druids, your plainbound accomplices, your ignoble hierarchs, your pod combo pieces I mentioned earlier, they're not giving you like a real attacking game plan. And so the deck can be really truly anemic, even like more than I felt like the druid vizier combos of old felt like, where it's just like, hey, I got a bunch of cruddy creatures or other cards that I'm just like trying to hope I don't draw sometimes. Like, if you're hoping not to draw some cards in your deck, then sometimes it's just, like, it's not a great feeling, right?
2: No, it's terrible. It reminds me of when I used to try to play Nahiri and Emrakul and be like, well, <laughs> you know, I drew my Emrakul. I guess I'm just sunk now. Crud.
1: So I think there's also some questionable, like, value cards in the deck where it's like, Bolt and Unholy Heat always feel like just decent ideas. But I think there's other things you could just do to increase the consistency of your deck. Or, like... I think I just want to run four Eladamri's call in this deck, right? Like, just get rid of these three bolts and this Unholy Heat and just run calls because then I can piece together, like, if I have a Vivian in hand and I want to go get Plainbound Accomplice, then, yeah, why I just call for it. Like, I don't need to hold an unholy heat to, like, what, take care of an opponent's, like, Ragavan or something like that. Like, that's not the way I'm planning on winning a game, is, like, stalling for a half turn or something like that, and then hoping to draw into uh, a card that I have, like, four of in my deck. I can just cast Eldamri's Call and win the next turn. And that seems like just a lot better idea to me. There's even, of course, like, some bad tutors, like, Call the Gatewatch, like, two and a white to tutor for a Vivian, or, like, a Karn if you need it, which seems bad. Or something that you mentioned earlier, Dave. Like, how do I dig through my deck? Like, we could play something like Oath of Nissa, just like yep. some digging and some card selection for a needed creature or a needed walker. Uh, I know it's only three, but it's something, and that gets us like through the deck uh, for essentially a green cantrip.
2: Yeah, I mean, maybe you just make an eighty card to put Yorian inside, uh, and, uh, do pr- some do some value right. cards.
1: So, <laughs> what's I mean? The real issue is like, there's no pressure game plan to kill an opponent normally, besides Constructs, essentially, which can be fragile against certain hate cards, like, you know, EE, Dress Down, those are just things that aren't going to, they're, they're going to take care of your your Constructs, and you're not going to feel happy about trying to win with that game plan. So, overall, the the deck has been inconsistent for me, and has, like, these weak individual pieces to provide what feels like a legitimate game plan when things aren't just magically coming together. And I feel like, in the format removal counter magic are such significant issues and prevalent in the metagame, right? They're prevalent in the decks that we, we see a single removal spell on like a Felidar guardian means you aren't comboing off of Vivian, like a single Holy heat just means, Hey, you're screwed. Right. And even if these things in your are in your hand, there's just not a guarantee you're going to win. And you know, the the sideboard tries to hedge against this with like three veil of summer, things like that. But I'm, just want to increase that to like four out of the gate. Like, why not? Like, you're you're losing to counter spells. You're losing to removal. Just run it.
2: And also, it doesn't protect you from unholy heat. No, nope, like it you mentioned, not. Which, which, so that's a, that's a little bit of a a problem too.
1: Yeah, like I mean, you could try playing like Giver of Runes main deck, but where is the room in your deck coming from? Like, you're gonna get rid of like four Renin and six, and then just like cur- not curve out anywhere near as neatly. Not re- not recur your Urza Sagas. It's just like. These choice, there's a lot of choices here. And then you, Giver of Runes is again kind of a mopey card by herself, but you know, just eats another removal spell. So I don't know. My overall rating here is is a believe minus. And it's not a heave, mainly because I think this deck has the ability to be tweaked to be something that's going to improve the game plan, increase consistency. Maybe you do some of the changes that we've talked about here, get that minsk in there get uh, Lair layer of the hydra, get some eldamry's call, find some other ways to win with with druid, with vivian. But overall right now, this is just one of those decks where I'm like, how did anyone win seven matches with this in a challenge? Like it makes me feel like a really bad magic player. I'm just like, man, I just can't figure out the the proper way to play a deck like this because it either feels like I I'm putting nothing together. Or like they're countering anything that matters, or anything that matters is just getting removed, and I just feel like a, a, a total loser. Uh, but I do think that there's something to this because I think that when you have multiple lines like this, you're putting pressure on your opponent in different ways. I think being able to figure out when you're playing into more of a beatdown plan, like the, the four fours out of Vivian, are pretty awesome. Like if you four fours can protect her while she's like spitting out more of them, because she can make a f- total of four. Without being flickered at all, which is sixteen power. Like so, if you're getting that down pretty quickly, like why not? That's fun. So, yeah. On long story short, I think there's there's something here. This could be something. If I have some extra time, you know, if I'm feeling like playing modern, I'll probably keep tweaking this for now because I like playing with weird uh, combo decks sometimes. So yeah, that's that's it. Any thoughts? Well, what do you think is the
0: best version of creature combo right now? Is it just Yawgmoth? Like, is is this kind of, is that...
1: Probably has to be, the, right? The litmus test for modern creature combo decks at the moment? Yeah, I think it has to be, right? And so I think it's like, what's what's different about this than Yogmoth is like, you don't have to piece together this the same level of board state. Like, I think it's more like from hand kind of thing. Like, what cards did I draw? And then I'm able just to spit out on, onto the battlefield and kind of win with... And, or what can I tutor from my sideboard or something like that? Like doing something with infinite mana is doing something then with like 15 cards of like a Moth or something like that. So I think that that is, yeah, I don't, I think that there's a place in the meta for a deck like this, but I'm, I'm curious where, the, what, what this deck ends up looking like. Like it could just go back to an 80 card deck because we just want more, more good cards and a higher chance of drawing like your four ofs. Uh, If you have a a number of four ofs, that all matter type thing.
2: This deck looks completely mind, mind bending to me, to be honest. Like every time I look at it, I'm like, maybe and then I'm like, no, I could never, I could never with this one. Right.
1: Well, I mean, that's enough about Shane reviews another deck that he's not super sure about and might just (laughs) might just disappear into the ether of of modern yet again. Uh, That's kind of like the theme of
2: everything that I, I seem to test. Yeah, but I'm not going to try to talk you into liking this one. I'm kind of like, okay. <laughs> okay, sure. Stanislav.
1: What's up, Shane? My friend, what have you been doing in Modern? Look, here's
0: the thing. Ooh, Sometimes I want to try as Ledger Shredder decks, and other times I don't, and I just pick up this fancy new deck that people are playing, and it just turns out that it has Ledger Shredder in it. So completely unintentionally, it says... You know, a bit of a continuation of our exploration of all things ledger shredder here on the dive down. I think we're four weeks running, maybe three. But the deck I really want to talk about in the most detail is this new take on Asmo Food, a new demir deck that just as recently as this weekend came in ninth place in the Saturday Modern Challenge. Asmo Food, you say? She mm-hmm. demir Asmo Food. She's back. And hungrier than ever for birds. So, this (laughs) just for birds And, and, and other stuff. This deck first caught my eye because a handful of very good players were picking it up on and off stream. The first time I noticed it was when Aspiring Spike tweeted about it on May 11th. And we're recording on the 22nd. So, almost two weeks ago, Aspiring Spike tweeted something about. Turn three, infinite turns in Modern, and then shared a screenshot and the list, and it was this demir deck. A week later, Canister picked it up, streamed it, and then finally, this past week, while I was doing testing for the episode, playing Merktide, I got paired against the Tunneling Cat, who was on this deck as well. And at that point, it just sort of clicked that a bunch of really good players were trying it out, and because, you know, I too want to, be a good player. I figured I should just do what the popular kids are up to. At least go find out.
2: At least and see what it's all about. I think that's just like the bare minimum, right? Yeah. They see how long they've been sieving and how long they intend to sieve. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about how this deck is built and what it's trying to do. Right?
0: The most exciting card in this deck that I had never played with before that is the key piece of your infinite turns combo is a two-mana artifact called Time Sieve. Um, It's from Alara Reborn, blue and a black for an artifact that has an ability of tap, sacrifice five artifacts, take an extra turn after this one.
2: Yeah. This is a card that's been hanging around since the inception of modern basically as something that people have been looking for a way to abuse. Right, because it is—it is so clearly something that you don't have to bend the rules of magic that much to be able to get five artifacts a turn. It just takes a engine that can consistently make you a lot of material, and so you know people have been trying to use this card for as long as I can remember. Uh, it's just it has never really got to a point where it was particularly good or stable. So let's let's hear what you think about that. Right, and,
0: and this deck is all about trying to d- establish that engine to make this card a repeatable threat, and you enable it with a handful of tools that work in a variety of combinations with one another. though Siva is pretty much always the end game to a combo finish. The simplest synergy is Underworld Cookbook plus Oval Chase Daredevil. It just makes a steady stream of food tokens that's card neutral, right? Because whenever you discard Oval Chase to Cookbook, you make a food, and when the food hits the battlefield, it triggers Daredevil from the graveyard to return back to your hand. I think most modern players are familiar with that synergy by now. But you can also supercharge this engine with an MH2 card called Academy Manufacturer, which is three generic mana for a 1-3 that reads, if you would create a clue, food, or treasure token... Instead, create one of each. So in this case, when you discard something to the cookbook to make a food, and Academy Manufacturer's also on the board, it also spits out a clue and a treasure. And I think you can start to see just that time sieve engine start to come into focus from this, you know, three-card combo-ish already. Another helpful but less essential member of this toolbox is Emery. And what she's really good for is actually just letting you recast cheaper free artifacts from the yard. Most notably, what I love doing is just casting a bobble every turn, either to have an extra artifact on the board or to generate card advantage to dig through the deck. And then since you have cookbooks here, you're also running for Asmo to fetch it. Um, But Asmo is also good just for keeping the board
2: clear or even applying some amount of pressure in the absence of a combo. Yeah, you do have a few cards that can attack in this deck, right? I mean, you have Ledger Shredder that can attack. Mm-hmm. And you have asthma that can attack. Mm-hmm. I guess that's really it. The other, you're never going to play an Oval Chase Daredevil unless you're really trying to switch to a down plan suddenly and Emery and Academy and Manufacturer are never doing anything. You do have Urza Saga tokens, yes. I guess. So that that does let you swap over into a, not aggressive game plan, but a, a game plan that's based off of creature beatdown instead of some kind of combo. And I guess you probably have to win somehow anyway, right? Even when you have infinite turns, you gotta mm-hmm. win. That's right. So yeah,
0: I'm I'm glad you mentioned the Urza here because Urza Saga does a couple of things. You know, unlike the deck that Shane was talking about, At least in this one, your construct tokens, even if you just make one construct token, it's really easy to get it to be like a 10 token. They're huge, yeah. They're they're, they're gigantic. Just because you're making all these food that you're not really using on anything unless you have the Time Sieve out. So getting that Urza Saga token big is easy. And then let's say you don't have all the combo pieces to actually go infinite with Time Sieve you can use the Chapter 3 ability to grab a Shadow Spear. And as we all know by now, Shadow Spear plus a Construct is just like a really potent threat in, in so many decks. You mentioned Ledger Shredder. That's actually the one new card in this deck. You would almost think that Shredder was the thing that unlocked this deck, but it's good. It's not really essential, though. And all it really does, in my mind, is it just it greases the wheels a little bit in both helping you find combo pieces by going through the deck with a little extra velocity or in some cases applying some additional pressure in the air um, or blocking opponents threats. I will say, unless I was playing this deck wholly wrong, triggering shredder every turn wasn't that easy. It felt like it was more often the case that my opponents Mm -hmm. were triggering shredder. And otherwise this deck wasn't necessarily built to do that unless you had like multiple bobbles, for instance, or just like a lot of cheap stuff This deck is quite mana hungry
2: though. So frequently I found myself tapping out just for like a single spell every turn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this deck has, it's worth noting that the, this deck as it's built is really just creatures that help with the combo and artifacts that help with the combo. There's not, there's not like cantrips. There's not any kind of like card draw. It's just the only spells that are in here are uh, four unearths, which have an expensive Mm -hmm. uh, cycling ability. On them, so mm-hmm. not expensive. I guess it's a, just too uh, too generic, but... It feels yeah. expensive in this deck, I, I, yeah. I'll be honest, to, to yeah. cycle so, it. Yeah. yeah, it's. I can see it not being easy to cast to get that second draw return. Right,
0: right. Although I did not play it in the deck that I did, the, um, the ninth place challenge deck from Saturday also had four Street Wraith. So there's a little extra cantripping there. That, of course, does not trigger Shredder because you're not casting the Street Wraith when you cycle it. But there is a little extra velocity there, too. And, and because you mentioned On Earth, I do want to call out that On Earth is more important in this deck than perhaps is, is obvious, because it can set up some of your most explosive plays, where if you have a Shredder on two and an Academy Manufacturer in your hand, being able to loot with the shredder, if you have an earth in your hand, is sometimes the best way to get Academy Manufacturer on the board so that you're just spending one mana to get it down rather than the full three. Um, When you're spending three for Manufacturer, it sometimes feels like you have to wait a turn to start going off just because maybe then you don't have the mana to cast a cookbook or do something else um, to basically enable your combo from there. Or, 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 or the Time Sieve, right? Like the Time Sieve being two mana in a deck full of Urza Sagas where you're like constantly going from three mana to two all of a sudden. Just being able to do all of that in one turn can be a pretty tall order. When Spike first showed off the deck, he did call out the turn three combo potential. And I really tried to approach the deck with that in mind and try to mulligan aggressively to it and sort of play the deck thinking that that's what I'm working towards as often as possible. So with that in mind, I found two things to be true. A, getting the combo on turn 3 is actually quite hard. I felt like all the pieces are there, but the deck because it's relatively low on cantrips doesn't necessarily have the redundancy and the velocity to dig through your deck super super fast to to set up that combo on turn 3 all that consistently. What does it take to make it happen? Well, it turns out that you have a lot of things to to make it happen. And you can find a handful of different lines to get to that turn three combo, or more realistically, you just have a lot of different lines to get to a combo position in the first place. The most critical pieces for your combo, just to reiterate, are Academy Manufacture, Underworld Cookbook, in my mind, Unearth is one of those very critical pieces, and of course, Time Sieve. The combo does get stronger, however, and, and in a way more deterministic, the more redundancy you have among some of these pieces. So here's just one example of a line to get you infinite on turn three. And as I was sketching out the notes and and trying to help illustrate what this deck is capable of, I was able to like imagine a few ways to get to the turn three combo. And this is, I think, one of the simplest ones to describe. Turn one land and you cast a cookbook that you have in your hand and you discard a manufacturer to make a food. So at this point you have a land, a cookbook and a food on the, on the board. Turn two, you play another land, you cast Unearth to bring back that manufacturer, and now you activate Cookbook to discard anything, though Daredevil is the best. It's not essential, but it's the best, which now makes three tokens, and then hopefully you can also cast an Asmo to get another Cookbook. Okay? So you spent both of your mana on your Asmo and your Unearth, and now you've got a bunch of tokens, a Cookbook, an Asmo, and a Manufacturer out. And then finally on turn three, you don't even need a land anymore because you have two lands and a treasure from your previous turn. And as long as you can cast the time sieve, you're basically there. In Spike's example, he used the three mana from the two lands and the treasure to cast on the, another manufacturer. He discarded something with a cookbook, produced two treasures to so cast the time sieve. And since you haven't used any of the other food or clues that you've been producing, you sack those to the time sieve and you've established the infinite combo. One thing that I really liked about this deck is that it's still effective if you don't have the absolute nut truss. So for instance, I found positions where I had a cookbook, I had a manufacturer and I had a time sieve on the board, but those in and of themselves aren't actually getting you to infinite because you're really just producing three pieces of material every turn. But based on my experience, you can actually sort of go for it and start to, cobble together a combo, even if you're sacrificing otherwise valuable artifacts to the time sieve, like baubles or extra time sieves or extra manufacturers, even. Also worth noting that you can draw cards off the clues. So if you need a little extra velocity to try to find an Oval Chase Daredevil or another cookbook or, you know, whatever else, like a bobble, for instance, or an Emery, just something to kind of keep you going through the game. You're producing enough material that can generate resources one way or another that basically open the door for you to either start going off with the time sieve or digging for the things that you need in order to go off rather explosively. Even though this is a a shredder deck, I don't want to talk in too much detail about shredder just because it's really only there for value in my mind. It does all the good shredder stuff of either setting up a good unearth play, as I mentioned, or digging toward combo pieces, or just sort of keeping you stable on the on the board because it can be an effective defensive defensive creature. And one interesting play pattern that I experienced here is, you know, unless I had an Emery online, I never really wanted to sack my baubles as immediately or as aggressively as I do with other Mishra's bobble decks. Just because having extra artifacts was really critical sometimes. And the cantrip wasn't necessarily better than just having, you know, this random widget sticking around that could then potentially be the difference between having five artifacts to sacrifice the time sieve or not. The interesting thing about this deck as a combo strategy, even though it's like a new-ish deck, right? We've only been talking about it or really made aware about it a few weeks ago. It already feels just kind of so elegantly built that sideboarding was super hard for me. Since your main deck is just full of playsets and is Pretty all
1: in on the combo. Yeah, this is one of the hardest things for me in decks like this, where it's like I have an engine, and everything everything seems like it is supporting this engine. So like, what are the pieces that are less valuable in a particular matchup? It just I think takes so many reps or just good insight on how modern works or how in a deck works to be like, yeah, in this matchup, like they're going to have X, or like this feels like it's one turn too slow, so I need to like bring in this, and it's like man, it's, it, it takes good skill or, or good experience. Yeah, totally. It felt just like taking out any
0: part of the food package or an or earth or or maybe even Ledger Shredder just was like potentially making the best parts of your deck that much worse.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess as far as this deck goes, when I look at the deck list, I, I haven't played this, but when I look at it, I kind of go, it feels like the things that are on the chopping block are Emery, Ledger Shredder, and maybe some quantity of unearth be the things i'd be looking at to side out the rest of it feels absolutely essential essential to the combo those Mm -hmm. other cards are good but they're good in different matchups potentially right
0: yeah yeah and and that's more or less where i ended up with and and i'll share my experiences though sample size is small you know my instincts may have been incorrect but i was frequently making my decisions based on in part my opponent's removal and threat suites so, for instance, I was more likely to side out an emery if I knew my opponent was likely to kill it on sight. Being too, t- too toughness makes it super vulnerable to early Holy heats or bolt, of course. Um, likewise, if my opponent didn't have creatures, I might actually shave on an asthmo or two, since you have other ways to find cookbooks. Um, and sacking foods to her as a removal tool wasn't always re- important if my opponents weren't actually presenting threats yeah, of their own. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. In any case, I do just want to say, like, anyone who's curious about this deck and wants to pick it up, I think developing preemptively a strong sideboard strategy will just be important to getting, like, valuable mileage out of this deck, just because the combo tools, as I say, are, like, really built tightly. And even though we're seeing some iteration on the deck, you know, I mentioned the version from this weekend has four street wraith, which is a new take that I hadn't seen when I was first discovering this one. Obviously there's room to grow and and iterate and I'll talk about that more in a minute. I just think that you really want to be careful about what you're taking out in a deck like this and make sure that you really understand like which combo tools or which enablers are more or less valuable to you depending on the type of matchups that you're in. So I'll tell you, I played one league with this deck. I I played a handful of practice matches and I also played a handful of solitaire matches on moto just to figure out like, how I'm trying to sequence my triggers and like what end state I'm trying to get to just because Academy manufacturer is not a card that I've ever played with. And I don't think I've ever played with Esmo food before this. So I just wanted to get some, some practice with the turns and, and, and really the clicking. Oh, I, I got to tell you, this is a clicky deck, not as crazy as Heliod surprisingly, but you like are clicking <laughs> like, on five artifacts every time you want to combo off and then whatever else you're, you're doing with it, but to, to remake five artifacts. Exactly. In my one league, I I actually finished two, three. I beat amulet and I also beat martyr proc. I lost to murktide affinity and yawgmoth. Um, just some high level takeaways. I feel like this deck is pretty weak to counter magic. Murktide felt particularly unwinnable. Because their early threats will get really, really far. You don't have a ton of removal. Your best removal card is Asmo. And then they can just save all their counters for your payoffs. Amulet was the opposite story, where you can more or less go off in a single turn. And if they're not holding up basically Boseju, it's really tough for them to disrupt your engine. And likewise, Asmo in particular just felt great against Primeval Titan specifically. So there were a number of times where... In that match, my opponent cast multiple titans, and I just kept foods laying around, and then I would just Asmo it and took over the game that way. You know, I'm not going to go into too much detail about Martyr proc, just because that's a fringe deck at this point, and ultimately it was just too slow and it didn't go wide enough, whereas Yogg went too wide and, and was really too fast and effectively just was able to play around Asmo removal. Same with Affinity, got really wide and big and just did that way too quickly and was able to flood the board so so quickly that their hands were always full of action with their eight cast effects and I just got run over, basically. So I think that's kind of the positions that you have to be careful of with this deck and the matchups that you want to keep an eye out for is just like super wide creature decks might be too hard because your removal light and asthma is your best Option for removal as the deck stands right now, and likewise, counter magic is just sort of your biggest threat. And the versions I played, the only ways to even win counter wars were a handful of Flusterstorm. Though this being a blue deck, maybe there's room for some better counter magic throughout. Whether it's uh, Force of Negation or maybe even Pact of Negation, though I think that's probably harder to do if if you can't produce the mana to pay the pack. Yeah. That's pretty tough
2: because you want to take infinite turns. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that said, like if, if you're producing infinite treasures, you're not really using your mana on anything else at that point. So maybe paying the pack tax, isn't that crazy, but I, I, my hunch is that that's wish wishful thinking. And really my point is like, let's, Let's maybe look to a better counter magic suite as a way to deal with control strategies, which I think you're vulnerable to in conclusion, I'm not convinced that the deck is sleeveable in paper just yet just because it's so new, and we're seeing like a lot of rapid innovation this month. But I felt like the potential was there, and that that package of time sieve manufacture, cookbook, and daredevil are worth keeping an eye on and either. Further innovation will make this deck better. You know, Maybe Street Wraith adds like, enough velocity that you can combo off a little more effectively. Or maybe this is just one of those decks that one or two new cards in the near future can help unlock as well. I'm not sure what those specific cards are. Maybe just like some kind of on-plan removal that can even support your combo if you need to. I believe in it. I'm not sure that I think this deck is going to be as much of a Presence in the near term as like some of the other decks that have emerged across formats since Ledger Shredder became a card worth talking about. But Infinite Turns is, is, is real. I think this is a little fun deck and, and one to, to keep an eye on just because iterating on it, I, I, I think, could be pretty
1: rewarding.
2: All right. Combos, combos. Combos, combos, combos. combos. Well, I got I want to talk about a combo. Are you like,
1: do you like nacho cheese or like cheddar cheese pretzel? Are you like
2: the weird like pizza pretzel oh, guy?
1: I like or like the blue cheese ones. I like
2: the regular cheese ones with with the cracker crust. Oh yeah, the cracker. Yeah, the crackers. So I, do like, I, I do like. I th- do like the pretzel with cheese in the middle too. But yeah, how do you eat it? Do you like? Do you do the
1: thing where you kind of like you like eat the cracker with your you like bite into the cracker with your teeth and then you get the cheese out like on its lonesome. Oh, man, that's just, like, the best thing about combos. Anyway. I
2: tell you, what, in college, I don't know if you remember the vending machines in our in our college. Shane in uh, DAP, when you'd be working late at night, you go go down. I used to basically oh, dude, live. Oh, so many meals out of yep, those. Yeah, I used to just live on combos and, like, Coca-Cola with the weird <laughs> crunchy ice. Anyway, University of Cincinnati people get at us. Um, so I got a combo for you guys since you both talked about combos. How about my combo of... Uh, Ancestral anger and your face. <laughs> My, I'm very angry. Uh, so I'm going to talk about. I've been playing mostly Explorer lately, and with the short time that we have left, we thought we could talk a little bit about the latest deck that's been popping up on there with a new card from Streets of New Capenna. Boros Prowess Feather is back. Feather's back, baby, with an important card in it that has the same mechanic as Ledger Shredder, and this card is called Illuminator Virtuoso. Are you all familiar with Illuminator this, Virtuoso? This,
1: this I am now, and this card is absurd. Absurd. Absurd, huh? I think it, okay, I mean, Dave, I'm just going to cut you off here. Okay. Uh, I, th- I think this is perhaps one of, this is one of the best white, Creature threats I've ever seen
2: in my life. Okay. So Illuminator is, Virtuoso, just everybody knows, if, in case you passed over, it's not uncommon from the set. And it is a generic and a white for a 1 1 with double strike. It's a human rogue. And it just says whenever it becomes the target of a spell you control, it connives. That's it. It's some real simple trigger for connive, but it connives. And it connives a lot, as many times as you want to, because it does it every time you, you target it. So it basically has heroic connive, right? Yes. Heroicized. Yeah. And so when you look at this card, and you know, I heard about it towards the end of last week as a candidate for the old feather decks that we used to have, which is basically a heroic deck, really, right? Although it doesn't really play heroic cards anymore. It has a creature suite of Soulscar Mage and 10th District Legionnaire and... Got your Clever Lumimancer as well in this deck. It's, it's a deck that Clever Lumimancer is actually pretty good in. Lumi's back. Yep, Illuminator Virtuoso as your aggressive threats. And then you have Dreadhore Arcanist and Feather as your ways to grind and recast your spells and all that stuff. And then you just have all your great card draw cantrips that buff your creatures. You have Protection Spells and God's Willing and um, occasionally other things such as And the sideboard fight is one is another one that I used quite a bit. Um, I think most people are familiar with this deck, but I think the deck is back and I think it's really good. And it's all because of illuminator virtuoso and a couple of different ways to really pump up the fact that this is really cheap double strike. Shane, have you been playing with this deck too? I have been um, not a
1: ton. Just experimenting with it. Someone played it against me on ladder, like, Uh, A couple nights ago, and I was like, "Holy smokes! This is this like, you are never safe. Like if if you do not if you're not removing the the virtuoso, then they can untap and just go ham. Like the amount of cards they can peel through with the they have you know there's scry abilities, there's draw card abilities off of these cards. I'm sure you're gonna get into that. But man, you can peel through the deck and make your virtuoso just just huge. Have trample.
2: Uh, have Double Strike, and you are dead from very high life totals. Yeah. I managed to kill people from 23, I think. I killed somebody on turn four or something like that. There was a card that they... It was a Saga. Oh, it was, it was uh, Meletus. Meletus. The Birth of Miletus, I think, is the last mode of that one where you, you gain three life. Yeah, you make the wall. You, do, do you the get plan a plan to make a wall, gain some yeah. life. So I, I had one where someone went from 20 to 23, and I killed them on like turn four with it. By also getting the the, the wall out of the way with a reckless reckless rage. Girl, not with Get Out the Way? <laughs> not with Get That's Out Spoiler the Way, card? unfortunately. Making Virtuoso big enough. I had another threat with. It. I think I was attacking with a Soulscar Mage as well as like a secondary threat. So, I, but I think I did like seventeen with the Illuminator Virtuoso, or eighteen with the Illuminator Virtuoso, and five or six with the, um with a Soulscar Mage. This deck is really good, and I think it's a bunch of pieces that have been trying to find a good home. You know, without Luris around. I mean, I guess this deck still would have been good with, with Lurrus being around. You would have just not played Feather, of course, but everything else in here still fits. But there's a bunch of little combos, and I really think that the big thing about this deck, too, is Dreadhorde Arcanist having a, a good home with a bunch of cards that just draw cards. And then also, occasionally being able to pop people with Invigorated Rampage from Kaladesh. Do you all remember Invigorated Rampage? So this is, yes. this is one and a red, and it says... It has two modes basically one mode is give a creature plus plus four plus O oh, and trample and the other mode is give two creatures plus two plus O oh, and trample and so this card is super important and lets you really cheese people out with wins if they if they tap out against you against a resolved illuminator virtuoso or occasionally not even a resolved one because if you have enough mana and you can you can drop virtuoso and then drop a maximize velocity on it to give it haste You can get going even faster and kill somebody with just a card that you've played from your hands. I had a pretty good success rate with this card, with this deck. I think I got up to like silver two, basically with it. You know, I haven't been playing a ton of ladder, but kind of got up there. Um, It struggles with the types of decks that you imagine that this would struggle with, but I think that the burst potential is so much bigger now and the protection spells are really good and useful at this point that having being able to protect one threat in a deck that's full of four or five different really good threats is actually a really uh more viable plan now than maybe it used to be
1: yeah super it's extremely tilting to go up against this deck as like Rakdos, which i was and i was just like i'll remove the stuff that matters and we'll be okay here and just the you know the opponent drew extremely well and also played well of course but like when you have God's willing and other protection spells, and then you have a feather resolved, and you're just like, you essentially just have God's willing for us the, the game <laughs> if, if, so, if you so desire. And I just felt out of the game. Like I just felt unable to get back in to remove any creature that mattered because they were just able to keep them protected and then grow out, outsize my creatures. And so it just felt like I had no chance, just with like a, you know one feather and one God's willing or something like that.
0: It's interesting that that's your example, Shane, because I've been playing Rakdos mid in Explorer Mm 2, and I actually felt like I had no trouble with this deck just because I have so much removal. Instant and sorcery speed removal felt okay, as long as you know which ones to save which types of, which creatures to save which removal for. Um, And I was even going to ask, like, Dave... What he felt about the Rakdos mid deck that's pretty popular in Explore right now, where it's just like a pile of removal.
2: Sure, I mean the the red removal is not really that hard to get around, right? Because you have a lot yeah. of different ways to to do that at instant speed. You know, whether but, you but I mean like Fatal Push and Heartless Acts. So don't see a lot of Heartless Act. I gotta say, Heartless Act also only kills stuff without counters on it, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, which means so so it can be pretty good.
2: And also 10th 10th District Legionnaire, which I think is sort of an underrated card in this kind of deck still, because it has haste and it it has that scry ability. It's a really good card. The the blue-white version of it was really good and heroic as well back in the day. Um, It's the fatal pushes that you have to watch out for, that you have to hold your mana for. And then um, the other thing that you do is, post-board, you can uh, kind of move up to fight as one, in the deck which is really really good as a couple of extra god's willings basically and also actually fight is one is really helpful against um against wraths as well because i i managed to save a Dreadhorde Archonist and a virtuoso against a what's the cleave spell that gets rid of all it's like a wrath for all creatures with two mana value or less it's in I forget it's in Crimson Val, but I used Fight as one for that. But also you have um, Unchained Berserker, which is a protection from red yeah. card that actually lets you or protection from white. Sorry, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about the wrong wrong deck there. So you're just against black, you're just putting in fight as one as well. I think that I I, I beat Rakdos a couple of times, and it's by doing that dance around The black removal spells, sure, they beat you a little bit, but you draw more cards than they do. And then you just make sure that your creatures are out of range for all the red removal, and then you're in pretty good shape, I I found. Now, you know, you're still going to (laughs) lose a good amount in that matchup, but... I
1: also, uh, the player I was playing against, I think this is a perfectly good sideboard card is like a Danto Vanguard, which can gain indestructible... Uh, just by losing some life and
2: i think you know you're less precious with your life total against removal piles and things like that so yeah unchained berserker is there to come in against march of otherworldly light really is what it is so there's a lot of decks that have that it's white removal that exiles portable hole is a problem for this deck too and so that's what she, that's why you need the kind of protection from white cuz you don't you know you want to buff up your god's willing kind of count from that a, a good amount if you can and you're, it doesn't matter how big your creatures get against white, essentially. But yeah, I was impressed with how consistent this deck was, how fast this deck can be, and also the fact that all of the card draw and, of course, the connive on Virtuoso really do let you um, recover as well in different ways. Um, oh, I forgot there's a Sajeri Shelter in the main deck as well, so there, there's one more protection spell in the main that helps. Um, I gotta tell you, I played, I don't know, 15 matches with this 20 matches with this and i did not cast feather once the entire time and still did fine so i think feather is fine in this deck but i really think the rest of it is about a deck that was pretty good in pioneer was pretty good in explorer or out of the out of the blocks two getting a lot better just because of a really potent threat coming in and so mostly i think that we wanted to talk about this deck or i want to talk about this deck just to be give like a public service announcement for explorer (laughs) and probably pioneer to be like you can't tap out against these decks because they will will do amounts of damage that you cannot even see coming honestly really fast um i think as far as what i would rate this deck i think it's a I think it's a sleeve minus kind of, I think it's a tempo deck that's fragile, but if you like playing this style of deck, if you like, which I like to do, if you like playing prowess, if you like playing auras, if you like playing heroic, then I think that this is a solid, solid entry for this format and potentially even for pioneer as well, though. I haven't seen it popping up as much in straight up pioneer um, as much as has an explorer. Of course, I don't know. What do you think about, does that seem reasonable? Shane? Sleeve yeah. Minus. Well, yeah, Sleeve yeah. Minus. Why, why, the, why the minus? Uh, just because I think that these type of decks are always going to fall prey to the people who are kind of like, well, I'm just going to play a pile of removal. And if if something gets even more popular as far as piles of removal go, then it'll be tougher to keep up with it in the long run. Yeah.
1: I think what's what's good about decks like this is that the non-fatal push removal sucks. Do you know what I mean? Like, and so you, if, if you have the ability to play higher CMC creatures, or you, you just do an, enough flood and go wide enough around the removal, and be, the meaning because the removal of, that's not fatal Push is not very good, that either it's sorcery speed or it's so bad that it's not being played. And so you're being, basically trying to be like, well, I'll block. And then you're just like, I don't care about your your blocker. I will I will trample over it. I will remove it with Reckless Rage. And I'm going to get in for loads of damage. And so, like the removal piles, I mean, I play a lot of Rakdos. And the removal piles themselves, in my opinion, are like, they're, they're decent. They're not great, right? They can be either too slow. They can be too expensive. They can be too conditional. And so, I think that that is an advantage for a deck like this because the
2: the control decks aren't quite
1: as good, aren't quite as popular, so...
2: The other thing is that this deck, and I've talked about this a couple of times over the years since Pioneer started, this has one of the best removal spells in Pioneer in it. It has, and and Explorer, it has Reckless Rage, which is just one of the only things that deals four damage to anything at instant speed. Um, And and targets your creatures. yeah, and target your creatures, which is nice. But you can you can kill some pretty big threats with this that clear the way for your creatures to get in. So it's got a powerful interaction, kind of sweet as well. Using God's Willing as an offensive tool is important for, for closing the game to be like, hey, uh, your deck is your mono blue spirits, huh? Well, I'm going to give my guy protection from blue and then I'm going to run through your whole team. Like, There's just nothing they can do to stop it. Um, I think those are, those are all good tricks and important with this kind of deck still and always have been. But you can do maybe, really tricky stuff with this deck. I've did I've done weird things where like I targeted my own creature with Reckless Rage on both ends to make both creatures bigger one time, <laughs> like Whoa. to just for the kill, like y- you can you can do some stuff.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm happy for you, David. I know you love doing stuff.
2: I love doing stuff. I love doing simple the, stuff like this. Now we have the deck that enables that. Yep. Is this what you played in the tournament? No, in the tournament, I played Mono Blue Spirits because I had just found out about this deck on Thursday, so I didn't want to get into it. Uh, mm. I didn't want to try it out right away then. Mono Blue Spirits uh, was okay. There's no car- no new cards in Mono Blue Spirits, really, though. Um, yeah, Sometimes it has that uh, slip-out-the-back card, but I-, I have not been playing that one yet.
1: Yeah, I think it's just another case where it's like, hey, uh, just because it has a keyword that we don't think is necessarily great, like, look at what's triggering that, and, like, this card makes a ton of sense in certain archetypes, so yeah, it's a great card. I think it's it's truly powerful.
0: Well, fun! Another fun, casual, loose, leave-believe heave that I think made us all better players in the process.
1: That's right. That's the important thing, Stan. Yeah,
0: more important than anything else. Alright, we should wrap up. Do you guys want to know what other cards I bought? Sure. Sure, Stan. Show me. Alright, here, just read, read them out loud. We got the aforementioned the wandering emperor yeah followed by an important card for our new favorite format oh yeah the tablet of the guilds Is that was yeah. oh, nice we we got four of those okay speak of the devil what do we have
2: here uh reckless rage i don't have those either yeah i i bought those to play feather sure. a long time ago and then finally to round us out oh actually I i
0: got a commander card <laughs> I, I have no idea what that is. Is that the? It's called training center. It's it's the untapped duel land. If you have more than two opponents, uh huh. Shane, you should look into that for red blue
2: because we know you love that command. Oh, Jace Vryn's Prodigy, Stan. I would have just sold you mine. Ugh, I don't want to think about Jace Vryn's Vrin, Prodigy. JVP. Well, good news, Dave. It's no longer a $90 card. Oh, weird. The the problem is the ones that I have, I paid like $60 for, because I was like, these are never going to go down in price. And then they did. Um, (laughs) They did exactly that. They did exactly that. I also have a real bad beat story where I did a draft one time and of origins, we were all together. And I was like, just joking with the person that I was sitting across from. I was like, Hey, do you want to, do you want to switch packs while they're still sealed? And he was like, sure. And then we swapped, we swapped sealed packs before we opened our first one. And he cracked it. And it had a Jace in it when it was $110. Like a pack that I just handed him had a Jace in it. So fun. Less, lesson learned. Never meme. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Never
2: do anything potentially
1: could be beneficial for anyone else. That's right.
0: And on that note, let's wrap up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast. Get the latest episodes as soon as they come out and you can always leave us a rating and or review over on Apple or Spotify you can also submit questions to our podcast over on Twitter at the dive down all one word you can even email the dive down at gmail.com you can also support the show by joining our patreon over at patreon.com the dive down you can even support us while playing magic with a mana trader subscription Use promo code thedivedown15, all one word, to get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. That's thedivedown15. You can also support us while buying some shaving or other fragrance goods over at Barrister and Man. If you use promo code thedivedown2022, you'll get 15% off your first order at Barrister and Man. As always, special thanks to the bands Nora and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week... Get out there and have fun playing magic!